Hello and welcome to Your Life Rocks, the podcast that equips working Christian moms to create balance, clear chaos, and reach goals in all areas of life. My name is Jenny Stemmerman, your host and fellow working mom. I am so glad that you're here to hang out with me today. This is episode 86 and the second episode in our series where we're really talking to real women, other working Christian moms, really sharing their testimony. We're learning about what God is doing in their life. If you missed last week's episode, I hope that you go back and you have a listen. I sat down and had a chat with a friend, Kayla Brissy, on her journey of infertility. It really was a redeeming story about love, to be honest, about her journey in finding new love after divorce, after a lot of heartache and struggle, both in a new marriage and a new miracle baby. Now, if this is your very first time listening to Your Life Rocks podcast, I want to welcome you. Now, this testimony series is a little bit different than what we typically do here at this podcast. Typically, you'll find us giving very practical tips, kind of like life hacks on helping you be a working Christian mom. We're all about helping you create more balance in your life, and we define balance by setting and moving towards goals in all areas of your life. Now, don't get me wrong. Life balance has nothing to do with perfection. Sometimes we get that confused with having balance, balance, perfection, but it's not that. For us, having balance in our life is really about being obedient to what God calls us for in our life, not because he needs us to be good or needs us to be any way in particular, but just, you know, he lays it out for us in the Bible as an instruction on, on how we can live our life in a more peaceful way to really cut the chaos. And that is what this podcast is all about. But because it is in the middle of summer and, you know, it's typically at this point in summer where I like to read, I like to kind of escape a little bit and break free from the norm. So we're doing that with our podcast and really diving into stories of what God is doing in other women's lives that are just like you, just like me, and they're really inspiring. And speaking of inspiring, I know that this episode today is really going to touch your heart. It's going to stir your soul and really give you some things to think about in a lot of different ways. I'm super excited for our interview today. It's with one of my very dear close friends, Lindsay Cooper. Now, I have to tell you, when I first met Lindsay, I met her in a Bible study group and instantly fell in love with her, felt a connection with her and knew that I wanted to be friends with her. And as we started to build our relationship, one day we went out for coffee and she told me her backstory. And you know what, you guys, we all have our own backstory. We all have little bits and pieces of us that God has redeemed, that he's healed. But her story blew me away. I mean, it is a story that you would never guess coming out of her. I mean, it just totally blows you over and catches you by surprise. Lindsay is a career-driven woman. She owns a dance studio. She pours her heart out teaching dance and leading other teachers to do the same. She really has an amazing impact on the community that she lives in. On top of that, she is a wife. She has two adorable children and one about to arrive any day. We are hoping and praying that little Jackson makes his arrival like today would be awesome little Jackson. <laughs> Any day now we are expecting his arrival. She certainly has a lot to balance. Now what makes Lindsay's story so amazing and, and just so compelling to learn more about is this is Lindsay's testimony of how she was trafficked into a position, a job that really was prostitution. And so she's going to share with us a little bit about her journey, how that whole situation unfolded as someone who grew up in the church how God redeemed her and healed her and renewed her 
from that experience. I know that you're going to get so much from her story. Even if you can't relate to the exact circumstances, there are themes that you will hear over and over and over that I know all of us can relate to. Themes of being let down, of rejection, of, of not feeling worthy. Now, this story is very impactful, and I hope that you would share it with your friends. And you can do that right from the app that you're listening to this podcast on, or you can go to yourliferocks.com and share from there. But you guys, the reason why we share testimonies like this is because we need to be talking about the miracles that God is doing in all of our lives, because they inspire other people to know that no matter what situation they're facing, God is a God of miracles, and he is there to redeem them. So share this podcast episode with everyone you know, and I really can't wait for you to hear her story from her own words. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. Awesome. Well, Lindsay, I'm so excited to have you on and sharing your story with us here at Your Life Rocks. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, um, I was uh, raised in Eugene, Oregon. Um, I've lived here my whole life. Um, I, right now, currently um, own a dance company called Identity Dance, and I'm married um, to my best friend and have been married for 12 years, and we have two kids so far. Um, One is 11 and one is six, and then I have another one on the way due any day now. Which is so exciting. I am so excited for the birth of this baby that's coming to you. I think it's so exciting. And um, I love too that you're a working mom. I mean, like full out working mom. And and being a friend of mine, we've had many conversations about just what it means to pour yourself into what you've created with Identity Dance Studio and trying to balance that with the kiddos at home and a marriage and all of that. So hats off to you for balancing all of that. (laughs) Well, it's not easy, but you know, it's worth it. (laughs) It is worth it. It is worth it. But I'll tell you, like in truth and honesty, like the thought of bringing in a third into the equation scares, like that's really brave. So yeah, (laughs) (laughs) my husband said the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, I'm so excited to have you on. I know you as a very strong woman of God, but we all have a backstory and I know that that probably wasn't always the case for you. And so I just want to thank you so much for coming on and really being very open and sharing your story with us. I think that there's a lot of lessons to be learned in it, a lot of insight, a lot of reflection that our audience is really going to take from this as well um, Mm -hmm. and really have a big impact. So, but let's start from the very beginning before we kind of get into the meat of your story. Were you Mm -hmm. raised as a Christian? I was. um, I grew up in a home that I was raised at Faith Center um, in Eugene, Oregon. That's the church that... um, my family went to uh, went to a private Christian school, so basically, um, God and Christianity was all around me, um, and I always was being taught um, the truth. And you know, I, I definitely grabbed onto it um, as real um, at a very early age. I, I remember responding to an altar call at church at just four years old, um, wow. asking if anyone wanted to accept Jesus in their heart. And I remember I couldn't um, get to the front of the room fast enough. So um, that's one, the earliest childhood memory I have of being connected with the love of the Lord. Um, But, you know, like any family, you know, we weren't perfect. My parents weren't perfect. Um, I, I remember a period of time where we didn't go to church for some reason. I'm not, I'm not quite sure why. Um, 
you know, my parents, uh, loving people. Um, but you know, everyone has their issues and their, their, um, their battles that they face. And so I think, um, growing up, I saw a lot of, I would say, I knew, I knew what was right and wrong, but I didn't know why it was right or wrong. I was just told like certain things were wrong. For example, um, partying, drinking, drugs, sex, all those things were just something a Christian girl didn't do. But I really didn't have the the knowledge or the heart behind it. Right. To understand like the why behind it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So growing up in that household, as you kind of went into your teen years, did you kind of stay to those wrong and right? Or did you start to veer from those? Um, All the way up until my senior year in high school, I was considered, you know, a a very strong, um, Jesus loving girl. Like I was very, um, gosh, I would say just driven. I was a four point student, um, danced on, started dancing when I was 13, but right before high school and fell in love with it. Um, just, uh, experiencing the world yes like by dating here and there uh but definitely still standing up for what i believed in and it actually a couple times uh left me with a broken heart because i would refuse to you know have sex or sleep with my boyfriend or whoever i was dating at the time and they didn't like that so i was still able to though to stand up for what i believed in and it never occurred to me to not ever continue on that route. Got it. So kind of walk us through how, how things changed. Cause I know things changed mm-hmm. quite drastically for you. So, yes. so t- talk to us kind of how that started, because I think sometimes it can be a slow fade. And I think, you know, anyone yes. who has been walking their faith for any period of time, they've probably experienced some degree of a slow fade and then maybe coming back. Talk to right. us a little bit about what that looked like for you. Sure. Uh, my senior year in high school, um, you know, I had really big plans for myself. I was going to go to college. I was going to try to uh, major in dance. I was going to try to minor in business or psychology. I really wanted to counsel people. And uh, by this time, I had had a couple of incidences where I had, you know, fallen pretty hard for for a guy. And it hadn't worked out because of my morals. And even though I was being encouraged by the people around me that I had done the right thing, the right thing didn't take away the pain that I felt. And so by the time I was 19 and out on my own and and, um, starting college, I was trying to hold on to what little relationship with God I had left. I think just like you said, it was kind of a slow fade where I just started inching my way away from the love of the Lord, just out of hurt. And um, instead of running to him and letting me, letting him heal me, I just slowly backed away. And not to mention, I was trying to balance a whole new world of being out on my own. Um, I was, you know, being very hypocritical in a way. I was living at a Christian college house and partying with my Christian roommates. Um, But what was interesting is that I was always the one that would get caught and called out and then eventually kicked out of my church's college house. And for, for me, that was, that was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> um, having grown up in this church my whole life and my parents are very well known and, and it was just, it was, it was embarrassing. And, and then I just felt, I didn't feel 
necessarily bad about what I had done, but I felt more angry by the rejection that I received from those who were probably supposed to be helping me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at the time, I didn't see their correction and discipline as help. I saw it as rejection. So I just figured if I was being rejected by these people, I probably was being rejected by God. So then at, uh, by the time I was 20, fast forwarding to 21, I was, uh, was trying to pursue dance all over the place and just facing closed door after closed door after closed door. So I just decided to quit and just try to work. And because I was at this point now like head over heels in a party scene, and uh, just head over heels for, for guys and just, you know, just that whole, the whole scene, holding down a job was not easy. And I was very <laughs> irresponsible. And I got fired from two jobs in a row as a result. And I remember um, calling my friend after I got fired from the second job. And, and I said, um, gosh, I just want out of here. I want to disappear. I want to start over. I, I just really want to leave this town. And then I coped with that, how I always did. I got drunk, passed out, woke up the next day, and I was still very much jobless. So, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the slow fade that then turned into, a, you know, an actual disaster. What I think is so interesting about this part of your story, Lindsay, is, I mean, I can, I can almost like feel for you, right? Mm-hmm. As this child, essentially, I mean, a young adult, but still a child, and just the hurt after hurt after rejection after rejection. And it's interesting because I can, I can so like feel that from, mm-hmm. you know, me being that age, at, you know, in my past, but then also as a mom looking forward with my kids and just that discipline and how they might perceive it as rejection. Yeah. And just, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's an interesting perspective to be able to kind of see the different sides of that piece. Do you think that looking back on it now, like, could anyone have done anything differently differently you think to change kind of your behavior or do you feel like it was just kind of the path that you were walking you know I think that probably both are true um I believe the path that I was walking I really needed to walk out because of the way God has wired me I'm just very stubborn Mm -hmm. Um, and I needed to learn this lesson on my own and and I sometimes I hate using this cliche but it's oftentimes so true is that you really have to hit rock bottom before you realize like just how how much you're you're messing up yep and how much you need you need the lord but for me you know that that initial hurt um from from relationships yes i can get over i can get over a guy but i think then the hurt from being rejected within my passion you know dance and then being rejected within my church those were two really big things that I think absolutely the enemy used for his plan for my demise. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I love too, that you, that you really kind of can have that perspective of knowing how you were wired mm-hmm. <laughs> and how, you know, we always say God can work everything together for good. And even just the story that you've shared already and how God can use what had happened together for good, but the story takes a different turn. Yes than just redemption at that point. So mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about what happened next. Well, what happened next is uh, my roommate had told me about a job that she had had the year prior. And it, basically all she said was, it's with this guy. He's a salesman. He travels a lot. You get to go to all these places, just do a little bit of paperwork at night. Plus you get paid lots of money. It's awesome. You'll love it. And for me at that time, I'm just thinking, 
whoa, it's got everything. Like it means a job, <laughs> um, travel, which I just said I wanted to, to get out and, and really leave uh, the, this town. And, you know, I, I get paid. So, I mean, sign me up, right? <laughs> I mean, I just, I didn't, I didn't even care what it was. Um, it intrigued me very much. So I met with this guy. He took me out to lunch. He told me the gist um, of what it was, which was pretty much in line with what my roommate had said. Um, he just said things like, after a long day of sales, who wants to do paperwork? And that's where you come in. And plus, it gets really lonely out on the road. I need a friend sometimes just to go out to dinner or you know, just little things like that. And he's like, I'll take you to all the fun attractions. And we, you know, listed, he listed off all the big cities we'd be in like New York and Minneapolis and, you know, just all these things. And, and basically he just, he, he hooked me in that moment. And, um, I agreed. And then plans started to be put in place for when I would be leaving with him. And it was a three month commitment. And in the days before we were set to leave, he took me out to eat. He took me shopping bought me all kinds of clothes and he used, he would say you got to look good if you're going to work for me and I thought he was just teasing you know but definitely didn't see any red flags there and um, even the day that I went to say goodbye to my parents uh, they were moving into a new house and I had no idea that they didn't like this idea or this job they didn't express that to me they apparently were very scared for me but but of course I'm 21 they're letting me make my own decisions and live my own life. And my dad said, keep your cell phone on you. And then the guy that was now my boss says, oh, she won't need that. You can just call her on mine. So as I'm leaving on this trip, I just think, okay, I don't have a cell phone and that's fine. You know, <laughs> I mean, again, like just so naive to the fact that I wouldn't even have any connection to the outside world. So obviously this was not a job that is like a typical job. No. Now, before we kind of get into the details of what it actually was, I mean, you said that there wasn't really any really red flags. Do you feel like you were just naive to the fact or do you feel like yes. maybe they were there and you just didn't want to see them? Um, it could have been a little bit of both, but I was just so excited to be, mm. to just leave, to just run away. And in a sense, um, talking with my sister this last year, I told her this story for the first time. You know, it's been how many years since it happened, but I told her for the first time and she said, you know, Lindsay, mom and dad thought you ran away. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, that's crazy. Cause I, I, I knew that they knew where I was going and, and I had like made this decision and, you know, but to other people, it looked so not okay, but no one said anything. And for me, I just, I just wanted to get away. I mean, maybe part of me did want to run away. In fact, I, most likely think that 99.9% .9 of me wanted to run away, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I can definitely see, you know, hindsight 2020, certainly the red flags, but I could also see how in the state that you were in and wanting to run away, looking, mm -hmm. searching so desperately for something. And then along comes this guy. Yeah. It pays well. It travels. The job seems yeah. easy. He's yeah. buying you all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I could totally see how that would be appealing. Yeah, and, to a young person. And it's not like he was, um, I mean, he was very good. He was very manipulative. He dressed very nice. He was very good looking. He was 13 years older than me, which again, another red flag, but to me, it didn't matter, you know? Right. Um, yeah. He's your boss. So yeah. Yeah. I thought, I, I literally thought we would have a working relationship and that I could totally handle this. 
So at what point did things change? Like at what point did you see that this was maybe not the job you signed up for? Hey, this is where I say it gets really good, right? Um, <laughs> okay, so the first leg of the trip started and was set to be three weeks long. And um, we drove to Colorado. And on our first night in the hotel, um, we went out to dinner, had a few drinks. Um, and he came on to me and we ended up sleeping together. And so it basically happened right away. Um, the next day, I called my roommate, hoping that maybe this was a shock to her and maybe I could get some uh, just some comfort in it or, or just some wisdom from her on what, how to move forward. Um, because I mean, we had just started our trip and then this happens and now I'm feeling kind of guilty, but then I'm like, gosh, I wonder if he actually likes me, you know, that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm calling her for wisdom because she's, she's done this before. She knows this guy pretty well. <laughs> you know, it's funny. She says to me, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, that's just part of the deal. And I was just, I was really taken aback. I was, I was like, what? <laughs> and she's like, oh yeah, just go with it. I mean, it pays a lot of money. And remember, he takes you to so many cool places. Just don't think about the other stuff. And when I got off the phone with her, my heart was racing and I, I literally could not think straight. I just stared at him across the room and, and thought about my alternative, which was going home, which I did not want. I really wanted to get out. So I just took a deep breath. I said, I can do this. And, and then I just justified it by saying, well, it was just a job for her, you know, my roommate, but maybe this time, maybe I'm special. Mm, it'll be different. Yeah. And mm. I was wrong. I was definitely not special <laughs> um, to him, at least. I was definitely um, hired, coerced, groomed to do exactly what he wanted. Yes, he said he wanted a companion, but it was much more than that. And Basically, the paperwork and the companion gig was just a cover for him. And here I am now. I was a real life prostitute. And I know that's a really heavy word, but, but that's, what it, that's what it became. Yeah. And it was interesting. So I was going to ask you, if you were to put a label on it, what label would you put on it? Because, mm -hmm. you know, obviously when you're working and you're in one of the main job functions has to do with sex and you're getting paid for that prostitution. I mean, that's just kind of the definition of it. Right. But when I first heard your story, I didn't think about prostitution. I on like it's sex trafficking. I mean, you were, mm -hmm you know, promised this job to do something that you thought was office work, paperwork, traveling mm -hmm. with him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there would be like maybe a friendship developed from it, but then it turned to be an expectation. Now, mm -hmm. how, how strong was his expectation on that? Like, could you have said no? I'm not so sure I could have. I, I think he was so good at manipulating me and had me so pressed underneath his thumb that I had this like underlying fear of him. Mm. He was a, a lot bigger than me. He was older, like I said, um, just very good with his words and just made it seem like, I mean, he made it seem like he actually did care for me and that sleeping together was kind of like an oopsie, but now we're just going to do that. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. So he, he, I think he was trying to cover his own tracks and act as if he really liked me, but you know what, as time went on, he showed his true colors and I saw sides of him that were definitely not uh, conducive of what a boss should be, but um, he was very angry, drank a lot, did drugs, often get mad at me verbally and emotionally abused me, saying very derogatory things about me, about my body. 
but I had to do what he wanted whenever he wanted. And, and then one day he said to me, now remember, when we get back, we are not in a relationship. In fact, this didn't happen. And gosh, that was, again, I, I now, the, the person I am now would be just flabbergasted and run for the hills. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. But totally. I was just like healed. But then at that yes. point you were still. Yes. Yeah. I was just like, okay. <laughs> you know, it was just another way of him pushing me down to be smaller than him. And, and sometimes I would even participate in drinking and drugs with him thinking that it would make things better, but um, maybe he would treat me nicer if he thought I was cooler, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but that just, it didn't work. It just made me feel worse. Yeah, it really strained the quote-unquote relationship, whatever that was, between us. Now, outside mm-hmm. of the sex and the partying and the more accompanying role, I mean, was there an actual job function that he was having you do? Yes. Um, I did paperwork for his sales business at night in the hotel, um, sometimes maybe an hour or two. Um, and yeah, that's there was, there was stuff for me to do. There were, there were other aspects of it too, that were kind of weird, but I guess I understood again, being manipulated by him. Um, you know, I did, I would find the nearest laundromat, do all of our laundry. Um, I would, you know, just make sure like I ironed his shirts and stuff for his, uh, meetings, you know, just little things, almost kind of like a wife, (laughs) but, but, uh, but not. So mm-hmm. it was very, I mean, again, you look back on it and it's like so strange, but it didn't seem strange to me at the time, you know? Right. And I yeah. mean, even, even in that moment when I got off the phone with my roommate and, and realized what I was walking into, I, I really didn't realize what I was walking into, if that makes any sense. Like I did not realize what this was until years later. Right. Like I, I literally just thought that this was just what I was going to do. Um, I, I, there was no label. I mean, this was almost 20 years ago. So you, you don't think that, I mean, obviously sex trafficking happened and has happened for, for generations, but, but it wasn't, it wasn't a word people threw around, you know, over coffee. (laughs) Well, and, and honestly, like when you think about like sex trafficking, you don't think about, you know, some good girl who was raised in church and went to a church school and, you know, going to college, like you don't, you don't think about that. You think about you know, someone in a third world country or a child that's stolen or, you know, you don't necessarily think about that manipulation and the coerced and the lies. Yes. That broken, that broken women are preyed upon. Yes, absolutely. And, and I was a perfect candidate because I was so broken and literally had no identity in anything, had no idea who I was, had no, had lost all sense of what I believed in and stood up for and, and was willing to go through heartache and pain and rejection over my faith for so many years. And then, you know, that's where that slow fade happened and, and really just took away all of that. And so when, when this opportunity was presented in front of me, it was a no brainer for me because for me, it was a way of, of just escaping. I think that's, what's most compelling to me about your story, Lindsay, is, is knowing the woman you are now, and then hearing your story of, of how easily it just happened. It was just like the next step, like one foot in front of the other, like it just unfolded so naturally. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that's what's so surprising about it is how easily that can happen to other people. 
Yes. And that's what I think is so powerful about sharing this message of your story is I think we all have those things that have happened to us in the past that we maybe harshly judge ourselves for, or, you know, we're ashamed of, or we, or we, we just have like so much emotion around it that it's hard for us. And, you know, when we have that judgment for ourselves, but yet when we hear someone else's story, you know, you, I mean, you're talking about prostitution, you're talking about drug use, you're talking about drinking. And yet anyone who hears your story is going to have nothing but heart for you and love mm -hmm. for you and compassion for you. And I just challenge anyone who's listening to this. If you have those stories for yourself that you are just so ugly with yourself about mm -hmm. to have compassion as if it's someone else's story. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the other thing I, I think too, is it's a lesson for us in, in how we treat other people around us and the things that we can watch for in that slow fade. Mm -hmm. So obviously you have been reborn and redeemed and all of this amazing <laughs> things. So talk to like, what was that transition like? Like, how did you get out of this situation? Yeah. Um, this is the fa my favorite part. <laughs> um, so one day I was sitting in the car like I often did for hours at a time waiting for him to do his different appointments, which by the way, he never let me go with him on, um, which I always told him. I kind of joked with him and said he would do better if he took me with him. Um, but, <laughs> um, anyway, that day I had brought my journal with me uh, and and in the car, but I definitely hadn't written or talked to God in, in probably over a year. And I'd become very quiet. And anybody that knows me well knows that that's not, that's a very rare form for me. Um, <laughs> I do love to talk. Um, so I had definitely kind of become this little turtle in a shell. Um, but this day in particular, I picked up my journal and began to write. And at first I wrote about what we had done in the past few days. And I think that was my attempt at trying to look at the bright side of what I was going through and just writing down all the places he was taking me, you know, mm -hmm. you know, New York and Empire State Building and, you know, Mall of America and you know, all these things, right? Writing about what we have done. And gosh, I, I don't know how it transitioned, but all of a sudden I end up turning my writing into a prayer. And, and I said, God, if you will get me home safe, I will dance and I will dance for you. And at this point, I had at least a month still left to go in the contract for the trip. And, and what I really want to point out is that I did not ask God to be sent home early. I just asked to be safe. And so obviously I had, I did, like I mentioned before, I had a fear of him. I had a, an underlying fear that if I did something wrong, something bad might happen to me. And um, I'm not really sure how to explain that, but you know, I'm sure everybody can relate to that. Oh yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I saw him walking towards the car. So I quickly put away my journal and, and then that was that. Um, and then the next day in our hotel room, he handed me an envelope and I asked him what it was and he just said, open it. And I didn't imagine that it was a paycheck since he paid me wirelessly and I opened it and it was a plane ticket. And immediately my first reaction was, oh, where are we going now? You know, because we were always, always traveling. Like every three days we were in a new city. And he said, we aren't going anywhere. You are. You're going home. And then I looked at the ticket again and it was a flight for later that day, one-way trip, Eugene, Oregon. And I honestly was so blown away. I didn't even know what to think. And I didn't want to get too excited in front of him. Um, I don't know why I cared about him on some level <laughs> about how he felt, but I just packed quietly. He drove me to the airport, dropped me off and, and that was it. 
I, I was free. But the part of the story that, you know, is interesting to me is that I had no idea that I was even enslaved in the first place, but here I am, I was being set free. And, and quite honestly, miraculously, because I, he's not the type of guy to, I guess, not fulfill the, you know, want me to fulfill the end of the contract. Like I still had another month with him. And, and I would love to also tell you that I came home free, joyful, and immersed myself in the Lord. And now here we are, but um, that definitely wouldn't be the truth. Now, Lindsay, when you were sent home because of the manipulation, was there any ounce of you that was like sad to be leaving the situation or yes. curious as to why <laughs> he was releasing you early? Yes. When I got home, I came home to someone else living in my apartment in my room which I had been still paying rent for. Um, the apartment was a mess. Uh, I'd been gone for two months and it was, all they did was party while I was gone. And all I wanted was my own bed and it wasn't available. I called my parents, stayed with them a while. And, and man, Jenny, those were dark days. I remember actually missing him and missing the hotels and the laundromats and, and, and the strangers that I wasn't allowed to talk to, you know? Um, and, and yes, so many times I would wonder, why was I sent home? And I, I know that God heard my prayer, but I, I'm not sure I really correlated that at the time. It started to almost feel like rejection again. Mm. Even though like, it sounds so silly because it's ultimately it's rejection from a bad thing, but rejection is still rejection regardless of what scenario you're experiencing it in. Right. Still hit your heart the same. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I did remember the promise that I had made to God in my journal and that I had promised to dance again. So, so yeah, I just, I tried to focus on that and, and found, found a local dance class that I, I knew I could kind of slip in and not be noticed. But what's so interesting is that God had a very different plan for that. And uh, my very first time going to go just take a hip hop aerobics class, the instructor recognized me right away and knew me from my years of dance. Here I am. I'm embarrassed, shy, held my head down for most of the class, couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. And she is just, you know, running over to me, Lindsay, oh my gosh, how are you? You know, that kind of thing. And I just wanted to hide, <laughs> crawl in a hole and hide because I had, I had pretty much disappeared for about two years from like the dance world. I kept coming back to that class and that one hour a week, I forgot about everything, you know, everything that I was feeling, everything that I was, you know, hurting, all the, just the fact that I felt like I had no purpose, no, no direction in the, in the moment. And if people had found out what I had just done, you know, I would be rejected even further. Mm, so, so it was really yeah. almost like that redemption through action in mm -hmm. a way with dance. Mm -hmm. It was. And I remember going to my, just my second class and the instructor, you know, that I'd known previously, she called me over afterwards and said, Hey, I can't teach this class anymore. Would you want to? And everything inside me screamed, absolutely not. <laughs> um, but she really wouldn't take that for an answer. She actually gave me the phone number of her boss and, and I sheepishly agreed to meet her. And so then I auditioned to be a teacher with absolutely no teaching experience. And I was hired on the spot. Um, and then from that moment on, every dance teaching position and opportunity came from that class that I took over. 
every single thing that I ever did in those next like three to four years stemmed from or that opportunity that I was also given. I think that, oh gosh, it's so good, right? Like when we think about the things, even when I even think about like my own life and the things that um, were those catapults, the things that kind of spurred on one thing to another. I mean, we talked about earlier in your story, the, the negative things that spurred one thing to another, mm-hmm. but this was like the reverse of that, like the redemption yes. of that, like a slow yes. fade up, <laughs> yes. a slow yes. fade back to light. Yes. So you know, it's interesting how sometimes we have that feeling inside of us that, mm-hmm. that kind of pulls against that or resists that in a way. Hey there, I'm sorry to interrupt Lindsay's story, but I had to pop in really quick because as we're talking about this very sensitive topic of sex trafficking, I thought it was a good reminder just to make sure that you knew that Your Life Rocks is partnered with A21 Campaign. A21 Campaign is a nonprofit organization that's sole purpose is to abolish slavery. They are all about freedom for sex traffic victims and really all human traffic victims because there are a number of different ways that people are impacted by this. Now you can learn more by going to yourliferocks.com or you can go to a21campaign.org. As a partner for this organization, Your Life Rocks donates 10% of all of our monthly revenue to this cause. Because you know what? Freedom and redemption is for everybody. Now let's get back to our interview with Lindsay. Again, I would love to end this part of my story saying that, and then I just threw myself in church and here we are. But I, as slow as the fade was, but then as quickly as I found myself entrapped in a lifestyle that I would have never, ever dreamed I would ever walk through, it took several years for me to come out of those mindsets, those habits. Um, I definitely believe that the enemy had a foothold in my life as far as just being addicted to just different things destructive behaviors, you know, drinking, partying, um, and and just relationship, uh, or just, uh, I wouldn't even call them relationships, just, just guys in general. I was, I was just addicted. And, and I think on so many levels, I was trying to forget everything that had just happened. And I was trying to reassure myself that I could be somebody's everything, Mm. but it just resulted in more heartache after heartache after heartache. And, and, and then at, by 22, I mean, just a year later after coming off of this terrible, terrible thing and, and looking like, like if my life were a movie, it, it almost looks like I'm starting back on the right path and everything's going to be fine. And we roll in credits and we're good. (laughs) But, (laughs) but at 22, I was, I was raped. Mm. And then, and then by 23, I was in an abusive relationship. And I mean, so just year after year went by and I was just sinking further and further in a different way. I mean, these were choices I was making, but it was still just from a whole, um, a whole past of, of brokenness. I know I've been redeemed. I know I've been healed, but I look back on it and I just think, wow, how could I have been so stupid? You know, <laughs> but, but in, in a way, my mind was, was not my mind. Like I, I had, I had such a different outlook because I just, again, that, that slow fade of getting into this lifestyle and then just slowly sinking further and further. 
And then you just think that these things that happen to you are just things that happen to you. So how did things start to turn around for for you? What was oh, sure. the re, what was the redemption point for you when things when your identity started to shift back or you started to find yourself again? Mm, that's good. Um, so after I was able to actually walk away from the abusive relationship that I was in at 23, which that was a huge step for me. I, I had never walked away from anything destructive and that time I did. And I think that was um, one little benchmark, you know, in, in trying to stand up for myself again. Um, and around this time I had gotten to know this really awesome family and they were believers and they would always have me over for dinner, bake me cookies or, you know, whatever. And, and one night they called and invited me to their church the next morning. And, and what's interesting is that night that they called me, I had not gone out drinking, partying, whatever. And, um, and I'm not really sure why, uh, but I was home and I answered my phone <laughs> and I said yes to them to go to church. And I got there late, of course, and, and come to find out they were in the front row. <laughs> and I was like, um, no, you didn't. <laughs> and I sheepishly went in to stand next to them. And it was a small church. Um, so I was not unnoticed when I came in, <laughs> especially late, you know, worship had already started. And almost as soon as I came in, the pastor stopped the song and said, there's someone in here who God is waiting on. So I want our worship team to play the song until that person looks up at me. So we had everybody close their eyes in the room and worship team kept playing the song. And, and I was just standing there. I waited and waited and waited. And, and then I even said to myself, I said, come on, whoever you are, just look up at him so we can get on with this, you know? And then I was getting really annoyed at this point because <laughs> this person was not looking up at him. And they, I mean, it seemed like an eternity. I'm sure it was like all of two minutes, but it seemed like 10, you know, and all of a sudden my whole body just got hot and I felt this crazy embrace, like, like not a physical embrace, but like, I mean, it was like as if somebody was hugging me, but I wasn't being hugged. And then I decided to look up and see if anybody had responded to the pastor yet. And I looked up to find him standing right in front of me. And he said, it's you, God's waiting on you. And I just started bawling my head off. Amazing. And I rededicated my life to the Lord that day. I mean, before church had even started, I mean, just right there, he put his hands on me and laid, or laid his hands on me and prayed. And, and that was, that was that, but it, it was still a struggle. Like, like you can't, I, I think that oftentimes people think that with God, you're just going to be immediately delivered of all your stuff, all your bad decisions, all your sin, all your, all, all your stuff is just going to magically disappear in that moment. And, and yes, I believe that God takes it, but I don't believe that it's an overnight process. I believe that it's, it actually takes a long time because of our human stubbornness and just our, the habits that we form and the decisions that we make in order to replace those. Um, but in that moment, I, I definitely um, took that giant step towards um, becoming who I was in Christ. And, and you know, six days later, I was drinking again and, and got in a very horrific accident um, on my way up to Portland and 
And in that moment too, I, I just felt as if the Lord had literally spared my life. And he even told me, he said, you're, you're trying to go this way and I need you to go this way. And it was opposite of, you know, where I was trying to go. And, and he just, he showed me that my life was in his hands and that he really wanted my attention. That's amazing. And I, and I love to, I love to what you said about, you know, it's, it's a process, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. we, we expect it to be like this instant deliverance. And, and while we both know that God is totally capable of that, but we learn more in the journey. And yes. I know the Bible is full of journeys and the Bible is full of stories that we can so easily relate to yes. what we're going through. Mm-hmm. So, and I know for you, you relate your story easily to, to something that has happened in the Bible and kind of look to yes. that as a reflection. Yes. And, and before I, say, I get into that, um, I want to, I want to say that for those that are listening, the, the moment that I decided that I would never, ever not follow Jesus was after I met my husband and um, we had dated just for a few months and I found out I was pregnant and unmarried. And I just thought, man, now I've done it. I've messed up beyond repair. And now the thing is, I can't hide it. Everyone's going to see this. But it was in that moment when I realized that God had, in fact, entrusted me with new life. He had entrusted me with my son. And then I made that firm and final decision that I am never, ever, ever going back to my old life. So that's so interesting yeah. to me that, that you phrase it that way, too, that it was it was kind of like what people could see where everything yes. else could be hidden. Yes. And the stories didn't have to be told, especially, you know of being trafficked and all like you could keep all of that inside and kind of yeah. have control over who could see or experience or hear those different parts of you. Yes. And I was very good at manipulating my family, my friends. Um, I was very good at, um, or at least I thought I was, maybe I wasn't as good as I thought, but I definitely <laughs> could, could, um, could make people think that I was one way when really I was another. And I was basically living two lives. And that gets exhausting after a while. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. But, but I definitely, um, again, never, never thought that I would be telling all of this to audiences. <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> something that, that I have no problem doing now, but um, that the Lord has really instructed me to, um, because I was reading in the Bible, um, uh, it was a year, about a year and a half ago, and I was reading in Joshua, and it was the story of Rahab. And, um, and I don't know if people are familiar with the story of Rahab, but she was a prostitute in the uh, city of Jericho. And as, as Joshua, who has now taken over the Israelites, um, succeeding Moses, um, he sent two spies into Jericho to spy out the land to see what they needed to do in order to conquer the land, um, because God had promised them that they would conquer the land. And, and here these spies are, and, and, um, they went into the prostitute's house to hide and, and she hid them. And, and what is so interesting about the story to me is that she then came up to talk to them and said, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. We are living in fear because of you, because we have heard about your God. Our, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God is God in heaven above and on earth, on the earth below. And what I love about that is that here this, here this girl is living in sin, not necessarily, gosh, I, I, I think about her and I, I think about 
myself and thinking, did she even know she was living in sin? You know, mm, like, yeah. like, was this something that she just had to do? Did she grow up being modeled this? Like, did she do the set of desperation? Did, you know, I, I don't know. I, we don't know that the Bible doesn't talk about that part, but I just think we need to have a like compassionate heart for, for her because yeah. she's not just doing something that's gross and unheard of, you know, she, she could have had, there could have been reason behind that, but here she is admitting that she knows about the God of Israel and that it scares her. And then she says to them, now then please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brother and sisters and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. And they promised her they would. And, you know, skipping forward to several chapters later, they come in to raid the land and they go in and rescue her first and her whole family. And they bring them out into safety. And, um, and what I love about the end of her story is that she ended up marrying an Israelite named Solomon and became the mother of Boaz, which I don't know if everybody recognizes that name, but that is the husband of Ruth, who then a couple generations down the line, Jesus is born from that lineage. So here this prostitute is that Jesus, the Lord had called from the very beginning to be in the lineage of his own son. And, and that really, it just, it just opened my eyes because I realized that as the Lord was asking me to share my story, which I knew was going to be hard, he also reminded me that he had grafted me into his lineage and heritage of being a daughter of Jesus Christ. And that just really made it every single thing worth it. And, and now I can identify with her and, you know, everything that she was doing was, was truly her identity. She, she was known in that town of Jericho as being the town prostitute. I'm sure there were several, but her name is in the Bible and God chose her and she, he redeemed her. And I just, I love that. I, I love that too. And I love how God has redeemed you. I mean, knowing you now, not knowing mm-hmm. you, you know, when you were party yeah. girl, Lindsay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> known in Eugene for being party girl, Lindsay, but yes. knowing you now as a business owner, a mom, someone who, who, who owns a dance studio called identity. So it like, it just all comes full circle. So yes. kind of looking at where you are now and knowing the backstory, but it is incredible to, you know, praise God for yes. the way that he's redeemed you. Amen. Yeah. And it does. It feels, it feels amazing. It's, it's almost as if I'm living a completely separate life. It's like you're, you're not even watching the same movie. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like a total turnaround um, story. Um, it's, been, it's been such a journey because it's been hard over the years to understand the concept of unconditional love. And that even when I was at my worst, God never left me or forgot me. In fact, he was with me. Like he didn't turn his back on me even when I was, you know, caught in that in that job, that trafficking, whatever. He didn't he didn't turn his back on me when I was partying. He didn't turn his back on me when I was sleeping around. Like he he never turned his back on me. He just waited. And and I love that. Yeah. Well, Lindsay, anyone who's listening to this and maybe, you know, they have their own story. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's different than yours, but maybe, you know, that yeah. rejection theme is there. 
or they feel like, you know, there's no way that God could, could, could redeem me or he can mm-hmm. redeem this situation. What would you say to that person listening? I would say that there absolutely is hope because really you can't, you can't run from God. <laughs> like, um, as much as we try, much as we think that we're not worthy, we didn't choose God. God chose us. So when he makes that decision, there's no turning back. There are things that you can do to reject that and to walk away from that, but he's not going to love you any less. And that's, that's what I've learned over the, over the last couple of years too, especially is that there's nothing I can do. Um, even, even though my life looks so much different now, there's nothing that I need to prove to God to have him love me. Like, even if I were to still mess up now, he'd still love me. Just the same. Just the same. Hmm. Well, you are beautiful. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing so openly. I mean, I can only imagine the process it takes to be able to share your story so openly the way that you do, Lindsay, (laughs) but it's had such a profound impact on so many people already. And I know it's going to have even more of an impact on everyone who hears it. So I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with us. You are so welcome. It was my pleasure. I loved it. I love that girl. It's such an incredible story. And yes, this podcast episode is a wee bit longer than we typically run, but it was such a great testimony. We just could not cut it short. So again, I hope that you share this podcast episode with your friends. You can easily do that through any podcast app that you're listening to or go to yourliferocks.com. Now, if you go to yourliferocks.com, not only will you find links to everything we talked about in all of our episodes, but I also have a free gifts for you there. So you can either sign up for our weekly success planning course that really helps you break down an awesome Sunday prep date so you can be successful and get everything done and start creating balance in your life as a working Christian mom. Now, because this podcast episode is going live in the summertime, We also have some great tools for you there to help you create a very intentional summer. Now, if you're looking for a group of women that are just like you, working Christian moms, looking to create more balance in your life, I invite you to join our Facebook community. Now, at yourliferocks.com, you can click on the community button or you can just search for Your Life Rocks in Facebook and find us there. Now, next Tuesday, we will have another episode in our testimony series. We'll be visiting with my friend Autumn and learning all about what God has been doing in her life and how he's really kind of flipped her planning style upside down with a lot of surprises and twists along the way. I hope you have a listen next week. And until then, keep building a life that rocks. Bye.